Let's pray as we stand. Almighty Father, uh, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We, um, we do not gather simply to speak about you um, as if you're not present, but we're bolder than that. We gather uh, in your presence boldly expecting you to speak, boldly expecting you to speak into our situations. So wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, whatever we're thinking about, um, whatever obstacles we may be constructing to your grace as if we could, we ask you to tear them down, to go around them, to uh, target the very depths of who we are, that we may see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, be compelled by him, and walk in fellowship with him, and in the joy of living for him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit down. Um, and uh, if you would, it's helpful if you turn back to the first reading. Um, it's page 7. There's no page number on page 7 because there was kind of a printing fun little thing that happened. But you can, you know, count and go back there to the reading from 2 Timothy. Put it that way. And um, we are today wrapping up our series in 2 Timothy. We've been walking through this series, uh, through this book. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to uh, a church leader called Timothy. He was leading a church in a place called Ephesus. And um, we're finishing it today. This is the end of it. And here's one way to sum up the whole book, letter, of 2 Timothy. Um, you could sum it up with this question. Here's the question. Uh, what is it? that you will lose your life for? Um, which is a very strange question to ask, but here's what I mean. Um, life, you know this, at least theoretically, life is temporary, right? Um, in fact, life is short. The only time in your life where life doesn't feel short is when you're young. Um, the rest of the time, it feels short. Um, and, and therefore, life is a limited resource, and you have to determine what it is that you're going to spend your life pursuing. What are you going to invest your life in? And particularly because with um, the, you know, the fact that life is limited, um, all of us are going to die someday. I hope that's not news to you. Um, in light of that reality, um, if there's no way to avoid losing your life, how do we lose our lives well? How can we give our lives away in such a way that when the time comes and we die, we're able to look back over, over the course of our life um, with a deep satisfaction um, that we've spent our life well. Now, here's why I'm asking the question. Um, as I already said, this is the Apostle Paul's last letter before he dies. He is in prison, and he is in Rome, and he is waiting. He's on the waiting list to get decapitated. That's what's going to happen in just a little bit. These are the last recorded words we have of the Apostle Paul. And here he is at the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy, who has been his student or his apprentice, and he's saying basically this. He's saying, Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, a long time ago, Timothy, I decided to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And in so many words, I chose to lose my life for Christ and his cause. It's as if Paul says, Timothy, right now I'm in prison, I'm waiting to die, I'm, I've suffered terribly. However, Timothy, despite all of that, I want you to know, I want you to know, Timothy, that it's worth it. It's all been worth it. 
I have lost my life for Jesus Christ, but I have found it in Christ. And so basically, throughout this letter, he's saying, Timothy, follow my example. Lose your life for Jesus Christ. Following Jesus will demand everything of you, Timothy. But Paul's conviction is that Jesus gives way more than he takes. Lose your life for Jesus. Now, that's the, that's the whole point of the book, and that's the point of today's sermon. And so if you're here, <laughs> I mean, that's going to sound crazy, right? If, if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, or if you're trying to think about whether or not following Jesus is a good idea, there's a way in which this sermon is kind of like a full disclosure sermon. Um, we, don't want to, we don't want you to ever imagine that we're trying to pull the sheep, you know, the wool over your eyes. What, how do you say that? Anyways, you know what I mean. Um, we want to be 100% honest that following Jesus is demanding. It'll cost you everything. And we're also deeply persuaded that it's worth it. Now, those of us who are Christians, um, this is a chance to kind of interrogate your deepest ambitions. What are you spending your life pursuing? What are you really pursuing? This reading calls us as a church to spend the rest of our lives losing our lives for the sake of Christ, because that's the best thing we can do. Let me show you. Let's get into it. Look at verse 6, right at the beginning of the reading. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Departure, it was a euphemism for death. It's like what we say, passing away. It's, it's time for me to pass away. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. He's reflecting on his life. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, one of the things that I find striking there, do you notice how not regretful Paul is? He says, Timothy, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. What's a drink offering? Um, it, it, it was a way to sacrifice. Um, so you'd, you'd have a, a glass of wine or something like that, and you'd, one way or the other, you'd pour it out as a way of showing honor to some sort of deity. And the Apostle Paul's saying, my whole life has been a long pouring out for Jesus Christ. And it's clear in this reading that it has cost him, right? He's in jail. He's waiting for death. And he has none of the things that most of us desperately want. He has no family. He has no home. He, has, he, he doesn't, verse 13, did you notice? He doesn't even have a cloak. And it's getting cold. He doesn't even have a good book on hand. Desperately bring the books, especially the parchments. Do you notice? Um, and at least some of his friends have rejected him. And right there in the midst of it all, he's not complaining. And he's not hopeless. In fact, he's full of hope. I, go back later on and read the whole of the book of 2 Timothy and look for hopelessness. Look for any sign of hopelessness. You won't find it. And it's not only that he's full of hope, he's also, there's a deep sort of joy. Do you see that? There's a deep sort of satisfaction. There's a deep satisfaction of a man who has finished his race, and it's been arduous and difficult, but he's looking back over the arduous, difficult story of his life, and he's saying, it's been good. And if I could say it differently, this is a man who has fulfilled his deepest ambition. 
Now let me explain this just a little bit further. And in order to explain it a little bit further, we need to do a little bit of backstory. So in your mind, uh, go back in time, in Paul's timeline, several years. I don't know how many years, a bunch of years. Um, Paul, back in time, has been traveling around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, start going to city, city to city and planting, starting churches. And what he would do is he would start a church, gather a group of people, and then he would uh, build a leadership structure, give uh, the leadership of that congregation over to this leadership structure, and then he would leave and go on to the next place. And um, at one point, for a bunch of reasons, he decides to go to Jerusalem. Now, that was really risky because he knew that there were people in Jerusalem who wanted to arrest him and, and put him in jail. But nevertheless, he's going to go. On his way to Jerusalem, he stops in at Ephesus. And he gathers uh, the leadership structure of the church at Ephesus. He gathers them together. He sits down with them in Ephesus, and basically he's going to say goodbye. They were actually just outside Ephesus, but anyways. And as he's saying goodbye, he shares with them his deepest ambition for his whole life. Uh, this comes from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 20. Paul says this. He says, um, Ephesian leaders, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. It might go badly. But then he says this. I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only, listen closely, if only I may finish my course. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same words. And the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, listen to the words. If only I may finish my course. That's what he told the Ephesian elders. That's what I want to do years before. Now, at the end of his life, he picks up a pen, he writes to Timothy. Timothy is presently leading the church at Ephesus, and he says basically the same thing. He says to the church at Ephesus through Timothy, years ago, I told you what my ambition was, that I would finish my course, that I would testify to the gospel of Christ, that I would end my life having given everything for Jesus Christ, and now at the end of my life, I can tell you my deepest ambition has been fulfilled. I made it, and I'm here, and I'm crossing the finish line. And as if he says, Timothy, church at Ephesus, Emmanuel Church in New York City, it's as if Paul says, I want you to know that it really is worth it. From my perspective here at the end, I have lost everything for Jesus Christ, but I have gained everything in Jesus Christ, and therefore I am ending my life with no regret and full of hope and filled with unassailable joy. My life's ambition has been fulfilled. You do it too, he says. Now, even as I say all that, two things come up for me. One... That is a weird ambition. Do you agree? It's a weird ambition on the one hand, and on the other hand, it'd be a great way to die. Can you imagine coming to the end of your life with hope and with joy and with fulfillment and with a hope and a joy and a fulfillment that is stronger than the circumstances around you? And I say that because, you know, if you're going to die, might as well die like that, yeah? I've watched people die otherwise. I don't want to do that. But what explains that weird ambition? Um, think with me here, um, and then we'll come back to the text. Uh, tell me if I'm right about this. 
most of us, I think, live with a kind of unspoken deep assumption that um, self-interest is the deepest motivator in your life, in the world, perhaps. Um, so for instance, I mean, usually we don't even have to talk about it. We can assume it so fully that we don't even have to mention it. Uh, you know, it's widely held that um, our economy is driven forward by self-interest and should be. Um, uh, it's widely held that your professional life is driven forward by your own pursuit of self-interest and that it should be. Uh, even our, our, the way we think about ethics often, perhaps not always, is an appeal to self-interest. Um, do the right thing because it's good for you. Or do whatever you want to do, so long as it doesn't impede somebody else's self-interest. Something like that. My point is that most of us live in a world that is so shot through with self-interest that it's difficult for us to imagine any other way of living. And that's why when we come and we hear Paul's ambition to lose his life for something, it just sounds strange. But here's the thing. Paul lived in an alternative universe. Um, I don't, obviously, I don't mean that literally. But he, he, he lived in a, we live in a world shot through with self-interest. Paul lived in a world shot through with self-sacrifice. What do I mean by that? Years before this, when the Apostle Paul met Jesus, we've told that story before, um, he, G, Paul met somebody that he did not expect when he met Jesus. Uh, Jesus, here, um, we just said in the creed, Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time, which I know is a very, very bold thing to believe. And it was bold for Paul to discover. He didn't think it was true. But when he met Jesus, he came face to face with a God whom he did not expect to find. A God who not only had entered into this world, and not only had he become fully human, but he met a God who, in becoming fully human, had set aside his temporary self-interest. What I mean is, Jesus' ambition, have you ever wondered what Jesus' ambition was? He's very clear. Jesus' ambition was to lose his life for the sake of his mission. And he wanted to lose his life in order to reconcile his enemies. Don't forget how radical and bizarre the cross of Christ is. God in Christ on the cross loses himself in order to gain his enemies. Reconciliation. And so when the Apostle Paul met Jesus... Paul himself was one of those enemies. Paul himself had helped uh, imprison and kill Christians, followers of Jesus. And now he comes face to face with Jesus Christ and he's looking into the eyes of his enemy. And all of a sudden he realizes that he had previously been wrong and that Jesus is in fact fully human and fully God. But he meets a God he does not expect. He meets a God who in Jesus Christ loses his life in order to gain Paul and to reconcile Paul. To himself. Now, that explains, can you see why this happens? That explains why all of a sudden, from that point onward, Paul lived in an alternative universe. He lived in a universe where self-interest did not compel him most deeply. He lived in a universe in which self-sacrifice is the deepest motivator. And so as a follower of Jesus, Paul himself took upon himself Jesus' ambition. 
Jesus gave away his life for Paul. Paul responds by wanting to give away his life for Jesus Christ. And once again, we must not romanticize the story that came later. Paul suffers. In fact, you look at this reading. It would be wrong for us to skip over this. You look back at this reading, and it's clear that Paul is not regretful. He is hopeful. But nevertheless, can you see that there's a sadness? He's really suffered. This guy called Alexander, verse uh, 14. Alexander did him great harm. May have arranged his uh, arrest. We don't know. Demas, verse 10, runs out on him. Verse 16, nobody showed up at his court hearing. Can you imagine that moment? Nobody showed up. Uh, Verse 13, he's cold, he needs a coat. This is real suffering. And there's a very real temptation. What's the temptation? Emmanuel, one of the deepest temptations of the Christian life is to live for present comfort. To one way or another, desperately by whatever means is available to us, find the suffering switch and turn it off. Right? And that's what happened to Demas. Um, We don't know much about Demas, but it appears uh, that um, he was hanging out with Paul. He was following Jesus. Things got hard. And Demas did kind of a cost-benefit analysis and came to the conclusion that following Jesus was... uh, just not worth it. And so he stopped, and Paul says he was in love with the present world. So he preferred present comfort to following hard after Christ. And I guess this is where we have to do the full disclosure thing. Because if you follow Jesus, I promise you, there will be times where it's very difficult. And there will be times where you will wonder whether or not it's worth it. And some of us are there right now. Same thing happened to Mark. Verse 11. Years before this, we can read about it in Acts chapter 15, uh, Mark traveled with Paul, just like Demas. And just like Demas, things got hard. And just like Demas, he did the cost-benefit analysis, and he decided that the present present comfort was more a higher priority than uh, following hard after Christ. And so Mark quit, and he went home, at least for a time. Then something happened, we don't know what, but here, Paul and Mark have been reconciled. One way or another, and we've got some other clues that I can't go into, Mark came to see that losing his life for Jesus really is, after all, better than a desperate attempt to lead a comfortable life. One of the greatest temptations of the Christian life is to live for present comfort. Um, A lot of you, I expect, will have heard the name uh, David Brooks. Um, he writes uh, for the New York Times, and he wrote a book recently called The Second Mountain, which I find to be a, a really helpful book. And um, he points out that if you talk to people who have really succeeded in life, like if you talk to people who have, um, have a lot of money and a very successful career, and everybody looks at them and says, that's what I want to be when I grow up, um, if you actually talk to those people about their level of satisfaction with life, he says you'll be surprised by how often they say that having achieved all of those things, it's actually very disappointing. Living for the present comfort is not very satisfying when you actually achieve it. And you kind of rarely do, but a few do, and they say it's not that great. And 
part of the point is living for present comfort in this life, uh, pursuing temporary self-interest as your primary ambition, um, it's a little bit like a Ponzi scheme. The Ponzi scheme uh, promises, it says, hey, invest in this thing, and it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And so a few people invest, and the, the, the investment person uh, gives a bunch of money to the first, first few people that invest, and then it spreads this wonderful rumor that this investment scheme is just amazing, even though there's actually no money being made, and they're just, the investment guy's just swapping money around to create a facade, a fantasy of success and pretty soon the whole thing falls apart. And that's what living for the present moment is. It promises a lot, but it can never deliver. Now, I wanna be careful here, Emmanuel, because I'm not saying that we, like, we shouldn't care about our career and family and all the stuff that, of course, we want. I'm not saying that at all. Get up in the morning, go to work, work hard. Be excellent at what you do. I am saying, however, that a Christian's ambition must always be bigger than family and career and money and comfort or anything else that ends in this life. And all of those things do end. Those are good things. Those are wonderful things. Receive them as gifts from God, but they must never become the priority. Our ambition must be deeper and bigger than any of those things. A Christian is somebody who says to Jesus Christ, Jesus, I can see that you gave everything for me. And now I want to give away my life for you. All that I have is yours, Jesus. My career is yours and my family is yours and my home is yours. And all that I am is yours. Show me how to use all of these gifts that you have given me for your honor and for your cause and for your mission. And here's what happens. As you do that, when you give your life fully to Jesus Christ, all of those temporary gifts that Jesus gives you, career and money and family and all of the things, they become animated with a deeper and more robust meaning, a meaning that reaches beyond themselves. And when the time comes in your life where all of those things get taken away and all of those things will eventually be taken away, when those things become, get taken away, you will not be destroyed because you weren't living finally for them. You were living for something greater, deeper, and longer. Now, look back at the reading and watch how the Apostle Paul is totally fixed on that something bigger. Here he is in the midst of suffering. His eyes are locked upon Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. This had to be a low point. At my first defense, meaning, you know, court hearing, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Okay, there's sting. You hear the sting? Was he alone, though? Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see what happens there? So Paul's abandoned, or he feels abandoned. But he's not abandoned by Jesus. Paul knows that he may lose everything, but he has not lost Jesus. Or maybe better, Jesus has not lost him. Jesus holds him. The bigger and deeper thing that animates everything else is the presence of Jesus Christ. The promise that Jesus is faithful to the end no matter what. And so in this moment, which is a lobe moment, Paul can look back 
And he looks back fundamentally to the cross of Christ. And he knows if Jesus gave his life upon the cross, then that means that Jesus is fundamentally faithful. And then Paul can also look back over the long years of walking with Jesus. And he can see that there's a track record of Jesus being faithful, even in the very difficult times. And as Paul looks back, he can also look forward. And he look, can look forward to the promise that Jesus says, I will give you, Paul, the crown of life, and I will see you safely to the eternal kingdom. And because Paul can look back at faithfulness and forward at faithfulness, he can look at the present moment and see faithfulness. He can be confident that Jesus is with him moment by moment and breath by breath. Jesus is strengthening him and comforting him and loving him. Even while all of the Roman Empire is looking at him and saying, we're going to squish this guy. We're going to chop off his head. Paul can know that he belongs to a greater empire. And he can hear Jesus speaking to them, even in the midst of that hearing. And he can hear Jesus say, Paul, I am never going to leave you alone. Never alone. I'm never going to leave you alone. He can hear Jesus look at him and say, Paul, I know what it is to be abandoned. I have walked the same path you're walking. I walked it all the way up Calvary Hill. And when I walked up that hill, I was abandoned by everybody too. And when I hung upon the cross, I cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus looks at Paul and says, I know what it is to walk that path. But then Jesus can also look at Paul and say, but I turned that path from the path of hellish abandonment into the pathway to eternal glory. So Paul, never alone, I will never leave you alone. Emmanuel, I, I said before that Paul um, abandoned his own self-interest, his temporary self-interest, to lose his life for Christ. Um, and I think that's true, it's actually, but it might not be the best thing to say. Because I think if Paul were here, he would say, you know what, yeah, I put, set aside temporary self-interest for Christ, but I gained an eternity, a perfect self-interest in the kingdom of Christ. You do not lose anything when you lose your life for Christ. But you gain all that lasts for forever. What you lose is superficial in comparison with the eternal glories given. So Emmanuel, interrogate your deepest ambitions. What could you possibly live for that's better than losing your life for Christ? He has given all for you Give all for him. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.